Unipify podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm thrilled to be here with two global leaders in public and private sector spheres on this topic. So we have Elizabeth Marima, who is the Executive Secretary of the Convention on Biological Diversity, and who is also co-chair with David Craig of the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures. I'm also here today with Koshik Chatterjee, who's the Executive Director and Chief Financial Officer of Tata Steel, who's been involved both with the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures and Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. I'm Jessica Smith. I lead work on nature at Unipify. So Elizabeth, Koshik, we're kicking off the roundtable this year with a conversation between the two of you who work at the intersection of climate and nature action. Koshik, can I start with you? How have you seen the issues of climate and nature interact recently? And is this going in a positive direction? Thank you, uh, Jessica. And I think the uh, if I were to start with and, and make a comment that climate and nature are intrinsically linked, uh, it's, it's interdependent. And in many ways, uh, nature restoration is critical to minimize the negative impact of uh, climate change. So whether it is the extreme flooding that we recently saw in Pakistan or the, the, the cyclone in Florida, or the drought situation in the UK and mainland Europe, uh, it is often uh, ignored that these are uh, actually intrinsically linked and therefore we need to address both the nature and climate together. Nature is also the source of climate change uh, adaptation. It provides a natural barrier to acute climate uh, crisis and, and events. So it is a, it's certainly a positive that the greater amount of discussion is happening globally and recognition that natural capital uh, is also a very fundamental capital for corporations, business and activities in general. So I think TNFD is certainly uh, playing a key role in ensuring that nature related risk and opportunities are identified, managed and reported uh, for stakeholders. And, uh, and there are innovations in the market, uh, which is also interesting and positive. Uh, for example, the voluntary carbon credits uh, using nature-based solutions uh, to offset emission from hard to abate sectors in their journey to become net zero is a defined way in which nature and climate are getting interlinked. Uh, the discussion on biodiversity credits, for example, uh, could be a way in which uh, innovation can happen for companies to offset businesses negative impact on biodiversity and, and link to all of this is uh, the growing emergence of biodiversity financing, which is an emerging area, uh, which along with green finance, uh, with increased investor interest uh, can provide the pathway towards uh, preventing uh, negative nature loss. So I certainly think that this is a, a positive area. Thank you. I, I have so many follow-ups, but before we go too far, uh, I'll come to you, Elizabeth, with the same question. How have you seen the issues of climate and nature interact recently, and do you, do you see this as a positive direction? Indeed. I fully agree first with Koshak uh, that the two, climate and nature, are intrinsically connected uh, and delighted that the recent developments uh, and the recent discussions we actually see that connection being made. 
Sadly or unfortunately, that nature came into the picture of climate change rather recent, uh, only recently, but efforts to catch up uh, are beginning and we can clearly see that. And clearly that the climate community have also realized without nature, we cannot deal with climate change. So uh, we can see, for instance, the UN Environment Assembly earlier this year, making that direct link between climate and nature than never ever before. We've seen even just a week, two weeks uh, ago in New York during the climate week, how nature was at the level, I mean, almost same level of discussion, uh, yet the, the week was called uh, climate, uh, climate week. Uh, scientists have told us 30% of the solutions needed for net zero emission by 2050 for climate change will actually come from nature-based solutions. And as Kushak has indicated, yes, we hear of uh, floods, particularly the recent ones, uh, heat waves, wildfires, and the like. And we immediately associate with climate change. What we are forgetting is that all that happens on the ground, on the ecosystem, and that's where nature is. So unless that ecosystem is well managed and protected, to be able to reduce uh, these uh, uh, disasters, then the climate change we are talking about, we cannot deal with it. The recent joint IPBS and IPCC report also gave us that strong scientific basis for handling both mitigation and adaptation challenges through the nature positive lens and building resilience for just equitable net zero future where all economies and societies actually will be in harmony with nature. So that said, we still know that we are only scratching mm -hmm. the surface uh, in many ways. And we can see how policymakers, economies, civil society, we need all the, of them to really work on the emergence and genuinely scalable solutions to protect and regenerate nature while reaching the positive outcomes in terms of climate. There are a number of pitfalls uh, we know and that therefore nature cannot be perceived as a unique silver bullet within which climate net zero challenges or an emission offset can be made. We need a genuine global energy transition which remains necessary to be able to reduce the green gas uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to measuring impacts on nature, unlike a ton of carbon, we cannot rely only on simple fit for all metrics. We know nature is complex, highly variable across the globe, and therefore measuring impacts actually need consideration of spatial location. And I'm sure Kushe will agree with me we need to consider the national and local aspects and including those which are most resilient for, on the benefit from nature. And this is where then we can start to imagine, for instance, voluntary carbon market finance, generating core benefits both for people as well as nature in this context will be, in, I mean, essential. And the same will apply also for biodiversity credit schemes, 
which are, are, are being uh, fast developing. But this cannot be viewed as just simple fit for all approach to be able to reverse the loss of biodiversity. Another related topic, for instance, we see a growing recognition of the role of indigenous peoples and local communities or IPLCs, both in carbon adaptation, but also in offsetting solutions, equally on improving the protection and sustainable use of biodiversity. But we know also these local communities are the frontline stewards of nature. They are the ones mostly sufficiently and insufficiently recognized as leaders in both climate and nature finance. They are still very often treated uh, at the risk angle, consulted probably uh, marginally, not really empowered as proponents of the relevant transaction. And we hope this can change as we move forward. We can see the value of the local communities' actions in protecting our common goods, the habitats, the ecosystems, the natural resources. All these really need to be recognized, encouraged, and protected as we continue to empower them to do this good work for the common good of ourselves and the society at large. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Now, both of you uh, understand the value of data and transparency for financial markets to operate and how we need disclosures around nature-related risks and climate-related risks in order to correct the market failure that we're seeing right now. Now, Koshik, having been involved in both the TCFD and TNFD, how do you think that the TNFD has really learnt on the back of the track record of the TCFD? I think the um, TNFD and TCFD uh, intersect in line with the intersection of nature and climate. Um, so, so we know that they are similar but not the same and have crucial differences also. Um, globally, we can measure emissions through the GHG standards. Uh, which is applicable all across the world, across sectors, across geographies. But nature, as Elizabeth was mentioning, is uh, more regional focused, needs to be both from a qualitative and quantitative in its approach, um, the whole measurement process. And the impact of nature also needs to be seen in both nature-related assets and the ecosystem uh, services provided by nature. So there are differences in which it, it works. Uh, in, in that overall context, uh, I think there are two fundamental areas of uh, commonality or intersections. Uh, the first one is the pillar of governance, strategy, risk management, and matrices, which, are, which has been a very strong tool for TCFD and which applies equally to manage climate-related uh, risk and opportunity and nature-related risk and opportunity. So it's good to see that TNFD, uh, we are using the same tool, modified as necessary. And, and this will be easier for adoption by the corporations across the world when, when they take on board uh, the TNFD framework when it comes out uh, formally next year. Uh, the TCFD's approach to quantify uh, climate-related opportunities and risks 
are uh, also aligned with the TNFT's approach on quantifying the impact of nature. So approach-wise, they are they are similar. While quantifying uh, nature is very challenging because it's very regional, local, uh, very unique and specific. Uh, I think it is the right way to look at uh, TNFD and the stakeholders would find that uh, quite meaningful when they look at both the TCFD and TNFD. And preparers will also find it more aligned uh, to report that more comprehensively. Uh, the TNFD is, is dealing, as I mentioned, with a far more complex subject than only climate. And despite dealing with climate, we took a long time in TCFD from 2015 to set up the overall structure. I think uh, what is important is uh, uh, it will be important for all of us in the TNFD to uh, be more proactive and given the, uh, the shortage of time, so to speak, uh, start disseminating the understanding of nature-related risk and opportunities to a wider community of stakeholders because they are the most important people. Uh, and in both developing and developed countries uh, to ensure that, that everybody gets aligned on the landscape. Secondly, the TCFD tool is uh, getting uh, globally integrated into reporting standards. You know, ISSB, SEC, and others have taken that on board. Many central banks have taken that on board. So it will be important that uh, this alignment of TNFD framework is also uh, uh, taken on board uh, with by global standards. And this will ensure that we have a faster acceleration of uh, nature-related uh, reporting and disclosures going forward. Great, thank you. And indeed, some of these processes that took years for TCFD to, to pick up like uh, integration into standards and work with uh, policy and regulatory uh, stakeholders, you know, is, is already, you know, there from day one with TNFD. So Elizabeth, do you have other lessons or learnings that you think the TNFD has taken forward? And are we really harnessing all the power of finance for nature today or is there more that we need to do now and when the global biodiversity framework is agreed uh just as kushek said uh and thanks to him and the and the company with all the work uh they have done under tcfd and now helping us and supporting us all under tnfd clearly TNFD has learned a lot from TCFD great results. And the, uh, the many lessons learned from TCFD are exactly what we have used under TNFD. One had been uh, building on TCFD's recommendations and bringing nature lens into them. Basically taking those recommendations and putting nature lens on that. And the reason behind it was also not to, uh, one will say to add another burden, another responsibilities uh, to financial institutions and companies and businesses, but basically to also underline the fact that nature and climate are connected. And therefore, when companies disclose, report and disclose on climate, can simultaneously do so also on nature. And that's why we took virtually all the appropriate lessons from TCFD as we developed the TNFD framework. So that is key uh, to be able also to build 
uh, the, the market ownership in the use of the TNFD framework when it comes out finally. The other lesson also, because the framework is intended to be used by the market, we actually use the market participants to actually do that uh, noble role of developing that risk impact assessment and management and to be able then to enable them also to review and, re and, and disclose their dependencies and opportunities on nature. So it is for the market, by the market, for the market. And that again helps in building in the ownership because they are the ones themselves. And this is where thanks to Shek and Tata for uh, company for uh, being so much diligently uh, working with all the other task force members in this, in this process. Of course, for, TCNF, for TNFD to succeed, we need robust data, reliable disclosure. And of course, this will involve a major shift, so to speak, in thinking by the market participants, uh, from market participants for the TSFD to take hold and for us to be able to build on that experience uh, for nature. Also, we need to uh, consider uh, particularly emissions in value chain brought about by many companies and financial institutions, which tend to look, for instance, at food and agricultural sector, including issues of deforestation and overfishing, for instance. These topics are clearly linked to nature. But then also we saw TCFD in effect setting a stage for demand for more robust data and disclosure on nature-related risks, even at that time. Again, showing that link between uh, the two. So the trade-offs are clearly evident in this space. And this can be extended when we look at biofuels, for instance, where then the need for more elaborated consideration on these topics literally will go beyond the scope of TCFD. And this is where then TNFD comes in to fill in that gap. Another lesson which we may have learned is looking at the entire portfolio approach and the concept of setting the portfolio-wide targets to be able to shift finance. Uh, when we look at target setting to enable, uh, which is enabled by the disclosure, this approach will only work if one has both and it is more powerful strategy as opposed to looking at peaceful different asset classes or sector or different sectors alone. So evidently multiple benefits of voluntary market-led task force on one hand, yet TCFD over time has recognized the outer limits of voluntary approach while it is still valuable to have the market define a framework for risks, we also need a broader stakeholder engagement to ensure that the impacts are not overlooked or underestimated. And this is where for, for us in the task in the TNFD, we really welcome the TNFD uh, stewardship council and the TNFD forum 
who plays an important role in terms of legitimizing and holding accountability for TNFD, as well as, of course, my chair and my co-chair's role in terms of links, uh, which links the task force to be able to meet the needs also of our parties uh, in the uh, Convention on Biological Diversity. Beyond this, uh, we need to look at the market-led approach that relies so much on voluntary efforts, even when in the self-interest of entities, this will never be enough to shift the entire marketplace. So as TCFD came forward in legislation over time, hopefully we will virtually need the nature-related disclosure to be integrated in those legislation as well in the near future. Now, of course, we are in the final uh, negotiation process for the global biodiversity framework uh, to be adopted at the conference of the parties in December here in Montreal. The working group is already, and the negotiators have already have a draft target in the framework currently, which is specifically related on nature-related disclosure. And we hope this will be able to provide further clarity on the policy side and lay the uh, scene for integrating nature-related disclosure in the regulations. And also having then the market participants contribute in the implementation of this global biodiversity framework and using this target to be able then to review their uh, actions and disclose uh, those uh, impacts as well as dependencies. And also, there is also equally another target, which is calling for shifting financial flows from nature negative to nature positive outcomes and activities. Again, this is where we'll see uh, TNFD also playing a role in terms of galvanizing, galvanizing its constituents in terms of contributing to the implementation of the framework when adopted. And that's why we are saying this framework is a framework for all uh, uh, and universally to be implemented and uh, where we are calling for our parties, whole of government, whole of society approach when it comes to implementation with the engagement of all stakeholders. And delighted that the timing of TNFD final launch of the framework will be months after the adoption of the uh, global biodiversity framework and therefore nicely aligning itself with the outcomes uh, of the framework when it is adopted and therefore bringing in also the ownership of the market participants, both for the implementation uh, or the use of the TNFD uh, framework as well as the global biodiversity framework. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. And financial institutions might be interested to know and to get prepared for the fact that TNFD disclosures from them and from their clients may be coming online in policy and regulation in the jurisdictions that they operate even before TCFD is mandatory in, in some uh, jurisdictions. So that's a really interesting uh, fast tracking and it's, it's fantastic to see the pace. 
Now, Koshik, if I could just give you uh, two minutes now speaking to our audience at the Global Roundtable, you know, we're kicking off discussions on transforming finance, accelerating change. What are your key messages to get the Roundtable started on climate and nature? So um, I think the climate and nature um, are two very important interdependent critical uh, elements for sustainability of uh, businesses in the future. And this is something uh, every business in every sector, in every geography should consider as part of their purpose statement, as part of defining their strategy for the next decade and beyond and ensure that their uh, long-term strategy and their medium-term strategy takes into board the fact that climate and nature both will have a very important impact on the future of the business. So the purpose of the business uh, needs to be revisited uh, in context of how businesses will operate in the, in, within the society community and keep the stakeholders, be it the financial stakeholders or non-financial stakeholders at the heart of their purpose. And if all organizations across the world were to do so, I think they, we would find a way to meet this imminent challenge on climate and nature and ensure that we can both create financial value and stakeholder value to and have a better future and a better world to live in. Thank you so much. And Elizabeth, a concluding headline for you from you. You know, we would love to hear your perspective on risks, opportunities, disclosure. What is your headline message to the financial sector as they're now going forward to the roundtable and thinking about the links between climate and nature like they've never thought about this before? It's uh, really taken off this year. I think for the uh, for the business, financial institution, corporate bodies, we all need first to uh, understand and take cognizance that nature is the foundation of life. It is the food we eat, the air we breathe, provides the water we drink, it stores carbon. So, and we also know most of these institutions depend on nature for their activities. Not surprising, the World Economic Forum has clearly told us all, 50% of the global GDP is dependent on nature. $44 trillion accruing from nature uh, and $10 trillion per year on activities uh, from nature and the services it provides. And looking at uh, providing over 350 million jobs by 2030. So for us all, and particularly the private sector, nature provides that foundation also for their businesses. And therefore nature provides the business case, the economic case uh, for them too. Assuming that is very clear. And I think it is very clear also now to the private sector because we are seeing the increasing engagement of the private sector on nature uh, discussions. You will be surprised, for instance, even now as this, uh, uh, the target on nature-related risk and disclosure in the global biodiversity framework 
we are seeing Business for Nature leading a campaign calling for mandatory disclosure. So you can see now the push from the business, from the private sector, really pushing governments to ensure that that disclosure is mandatory on them. So this is not the government. For us in TNFD, uh, we are saying the framework will begin on voluntary basis, learn the lessons from that, and we leave upon the governments to decide at what point to uh, make it mandatory or legislate on them. But now we are seeing the other, the other way, where the business is pushing for mandatory disclosure. So clearly that demonstrates the increasing uh, positive engagement of the private sector. It is equally a major lesson we are learning from the experience from the Aichi biodiversity targets, where we could not reach any of the 20 global targets uh, uh, determined at the time. And what have we, have we learned? That whole of society approach to mainstreaming biodiversity values is essential if we are to hold and reverse the loss of biodiversity loss, which threatens our own survival, the business survival, at a similar way or similar scale is climate change. So I can add, we also, at the Secretariat of the Convention on Biological Diversity, we have also significantly increased the level of engagement with the financial sector, both private and public. And we are seeing also even now the increasing interest of the financial community to participate at our upcoming conference of the parties. The registration is really a record from the private sector than all the previous, uh, previous conferences of the parties the convention has ever had. And even the deadline of registration has not been reached, but the volume uh, coming in from private sector is astonishing. So even to give them that importance, we will have just before the high level ministerial high level segment, which begins on the 15th to 19th uh, of December, high level segment on 14th, we'll have a full day of biodiversity nature and finance uh, day. Basically a whole day where the private sector can engage with the public sector in the discussion and also for them to show and demonstrate how they will be looking forward, aligning themselves with the global biodiversity framework uh, when it is adopted. So we have seen what biodiversity is not only for the ministries of environment to implement. It is universal, it is for us all, it is for companies because there are social economic development aspects of it. Just like the way we talk for climate change, I don't think we need to continue to make a difference between the two. And in any case, we cannot deal with changes in climate if we are still continuing to undermine or uh, not giving the appropriate focus to nature, which will provide that over 30% of climate mitigation and adaptation. So a lot can be done now both in terms of building corporate-wide awareness and capabilities, generating that positive leadership, improving stakeholder 
engagement at all levels to be able to measure the impacts on nature. And therefore, there is no more excuse of ignoring the risks and impacts because as we assess that, we know there are also opportunities there which need uh, equally to be looked at and upscaled. Thank you. Fantastic, Elizabeth. And you know, we really appreciate from the both of you how you frame this issue and we will definitely be picking it up. And one way we're gonna pick it up is in a forthcoming panel on nature-based solutions and how to finance these, particularly with the insurance sector. So I'm sure many of the points that you two have raised in this high-level dialogue will get picked up throughout the Global Roundtable. And I would just like to sincerely thank you from UNEPFI, the partners, the members, and the participants today for sharing your time and your valuable perspectives. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Koshik. Thank you very much. Thank you, Elizabeth.